Okay, so today is Resurrection Sunday, and I started a three-part series. So for us, Easter will go to next week as well. Uh, started a three-part series titled "The Donkey, the Crowd, and the Lord." The Donkey, the Crowd, and the Lord. Today, allow me to jump the crowd and talk about the the Lord, the Lord. So the focus today is on the Lord. Next week, the focus will be on the crowd. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, speak through me and bless your people. Let your word have the desired impact and transform the lives of many people here as I share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My mother is in church after several months dodging from COVID-19. She came today. Amen. Mama, welcome. Welcome to church. Amen. I haven't visited my mother like two years. Even though we, we all live in Accra, for two years I haven't visited my mother. Can you imagine? So you don't, so, so you have no case to be offended if I don't visit you. It's all right, no? Just come every Sunday, meet me here. Let's share the word of God together. The entrance of his word, give it light and give it understanding to the simple. It changes you. Once you get understanding from God's word, it changes your life. I mean, he sent for his word and his word healed them all. The word of the Lord is like the rain that cometh upon the that watered the earth. It will never return to him void. So it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. So every time you come to church and you have a Bible-believing pastor who teaches the word line upon line, precepts upon precepts, when you come to church like this, the word of God that is brought forth has a purpose to accomplish in your life. So you have to open your heart to receive God's word. Amen. Okay, so under the second part of this series, focusing on the Lord, I'll be speaking to you on the subject, Easter from the tabernacle of Moses. Easter from the tabernacle of Moses. So, what is the tabernacle of Moses? Okay, so let me quickly contextualize this message and help you to appreciate it and understand it very well. So God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden. They sinned against God, and God sacked them from the Garden of Eden. And therefore, any man that was born by a woman carried the seed of sin. You are not a sinner because you sinned, you sin because you are a sinner. And the seed of sin was in every man. The seed of sin sat in every man because of Adam and Eve's sin. Okay? Now, immediately God, man sinned, God lost that beautiful fellowship he had with man. Remember in the Garden of Eden, in the coolness of the day, God will come down and have communion with Adam and Eve. Among all of God's creation, the only thing God created that looked like him was man. Let us make man in our image. So God could communicate with man as if he's communicating with himself. Are you here? When man sinned against God, that fellowship was lost. 
And because man was created to fellowship with God, man started looking at things to fellowship with. Now, ask yourself this question. How did Cain and Abel, who taught them to bring an offering to the Lord? Who taught them? You see, they, they made sacrifices to the Lord because man is fashioned to worship a deity. Worship is part of you. So even before the gospel came to Africa, we were already, we already knew about the existence of a supreme being. And we worshiped that supreme being. We chose our own methods of worshiping that, that supreme being. In the absence of fellowshipping with God, man started worshiping other things. God, knowing that man was fashioned for fellowship with him, when man sinned against God, and because he's a sinless God, and he's a holy God, and he cannot relate with a sinful man, God immediately had to put in place a plan of salvation. In God's plan of salvation, now salvation is deliverance from sin and the consequences of sin. So God put in place a plan to deliver us from sin and the consequences of sin. For that to happen, God chose a man by name Abraham as, as his entry point onto the earth. Okay? Now, Abraham had a son by name Isaac. Isaac had two sons by name Esau and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, even though he had daughters. They weren't very much emphasized in the Bible. So, had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph, who was sold by his brothers. And was taken into uh, Egypt. God prospered him in Egypt. He became a great man. Eventually, he forgave his brothers and brought his father and his brothers to Egypt. They prospered. They were fruitful. They became mighty. They became a multitude. The Egyptians were worried that our visitors were becoming too powerful for us. Let's enslave them. So they enslaved them. Around this time, a man by name Moses. Now, I'm stating all these things because I'm not assuming that everybody here knows the story. A man by name Moses was born. Chosen by God when he was 80 years. At, at the age of 40, he had run away from Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian who was maltreating the Israelites. He runs away and then 40 years later, God appears to him in a burning bush and sends him back to Egypt to rescue his people. So he goes to Egypt and through the 10 plagues of Egypt, God supernaturally rescues his people from the most powerful king at the time, Pharaoh. So they started a journey from Egypt to what God said, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. During the journey of 40 years, 
God was eager and interested in in having fellowship in having fellowship with them. So God told Moses to build him a tabernacle. A tabernacle where God can meet with them. And that is where we are now. That I'm going to share with you. So God told Moses to build him a tabernacle. But the whole concept of the tabernacle was a picture of what God was going to do with Christ. So Easter was enacted in the tabernacle. And I want to show you tonight. But let's look at introductory scripture. John chapter 1 and the verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God? I want to show, please keep in mind that Jesus is the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, the theologians will tell you Jesus sometimes appeared as the angel as the angel of the Lord. But he also appeared symbolically. And in most cases, when every, anyone carried a lamb and slaughtered it before God, it was a symbol of Jesus. Okay? Now, I want to teach you and show you something in the tabernacle. So keep in mind that Jesus is the lamb of God. Is the lamp of God. Why did God give himself a lamp? I told a story in one of our crusades about a young man who slept with his father's wife. And the elders of the village met. And when they met, they found him guilty of death. They said, this is an abomination and you must die. But in place of us killing you, give us a lamp, give us a sheep. So that we don't kill you, the sheep will die in your stead. They gave him a deadline. The deadline reached and the boy has not succeeded in buying a lamp. The father out of love, out of love for his son who has offended him, called him in the night, secretly. I said, naughty boy. You see, because of your sins, you are going to die. If you don't get the lamb, the sheep for the, for the elders, tomorrow morning, they will kill you. Now take this sheep and go and present to them. So when they met in the morning, and the son brought the sheep to his father, it was his father's own sheep that they had brought to him. That is the story of Easter. The sin of man required that man should die. Man should pacify God with blood. Man couldn't. So throughout the journey, throughout the journey of the Jews, before you can go to God, you have to carry a sheep, a lamb, without defect. And the high priest will inspect it. To see that one leg is not longer than the other, or one eye is not uh, smaller than the other, 
or the shoulders are fine, perfect lamb, then they will kill it. And this is the way God instituted it. So God calls Moses, Exodus 25, from the verse 1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me, for me, from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Both hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and only stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell amongst them. Make the tabernacle and all its furnishes exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God was very specific. When God wants something from you, he gives you the measurement, he gives you the size, he gives you everything. He tells you, I want one-tenth of your income. We cannot give him one-eighth and think that you have impressed him. No, he wants one-tenth and nothing less, nothing more. God is very specific. He went to Isaac, he went to Abraham and said, give me your son, the one you love, your only son whom you love. He, he described it. Isaac, God is very specific. God will not tell you half a loaf is better than, better than none. Somebody say half a loaf is better than bread. So God, so God was very specific. But in the specificity of God, he makes a statement. He makes a statement. Very important statement. He said, verse 8, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And I will dwell among them. And please note, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, was for a relationship with the people. And Moses was to leave. And God said, go to the people and ask them for offerings. Ask them for offerings. Those whose heart prompts them, let them bring an offering. Gold, silver, and God was very specific. So they brought him and they built the tabernacle. But what was interesting was the details of the tabernacle. Can I see the tabernacle? I'm going to show you three formats of the tabernacle. Then we will use the grand plan so that you can understand it. The grand plan so that you can understand it. So this is the more modern representation of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle. was 45 by 15 feet and then it was housed in a courtyard i will give you the details soon so this is how it looked on the wilderness can i see the next slide this is how it looked on the wilderness so god asked them to build this for him okay so that he would dwell amongst them now here God is everywhere, but his manifest presence is not everywhere. God is at home before you came here, but his manifest presence is in this church. You feel him, that he is around. At the Cross Crystal Festival, you could feel the presence of God. That God has come. 
is called the manifest presence of God. So God is everywhere, but he doesn't manifest everywhere. So God said, I am with you in this journey, but I need a place to manifest. So build me a tabernacle. And go to the people and take offerings from them to build a tabernacle. And anybody who rises up against a man of God because he's raising offering to make a temple for the Lord is evil. You don't understand scriptures. Are you here? Okay, so the conversation move on. Now, let me show you in a very simple way how the tabernacle looked. Okay, so just to ensure that all of you will get this understanding. So there was an entrance. There, there, okay, so let me take it this way. First, there was a compound. They call it the courtyard. We call it the compound. So let me use our terms so that we can get it. And then from the compound, you go to the hall. The hall was called the holy place. From the hall, you go to the bedroom. The bedroom was called holy of holies. Holy of Holies. Now, the compound was 75 by 150 feet. And all these things, God gave them the measurement. And then, the entrance was 30 feet. Now, immediately you enter into the courtyard, the first thing you see, the compound, the first thing you see is the bronze altar. Bronze altar for sacrifice. The second thing you see is the bronze lava or bronze basin for washing of hands. Now, all the people who came to this tabernacle, the only place they could come was up to this place, the bronze altar. You couldn't go beyond the bronze altar. So the priest will receive your lamp here, your sheep here, and for those who were poor, who could not buy sheep, they will come with doves. God was very specific as to what you can bring. Then, it will be burnt here on this bronze altar. You will usually, okay, so I'll come to explain it later. And then, the priest, after he has received your offering, will not go and wash his hands here before he can enter into the hall, the holy place. In the hall were three things. A table that had 12 loaves of bread. And then, so at the right side of the hall is a table with 12 loaves of bread. On the left side of the hall was a lampstand. A lampstand for lighting the place. From there, you go to the altar of incense. So when the priest comes, this is why the priest plays his game. But every year, once every year, they have what we call a play, the day of atonement. Where all the Jews come and they lay their hands on the two goats. One, they confess their sins on that goat. And this goat will take the sins. They will put the goat in the forest. So they are taking away their sins. And they will kill one to cover their sins. And then the high priest will carry the blood of one of the goats. And enter once a year. Enter into the Holy of Holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant was. There was something called the Ark of the Covenant. 
And I'll show you very soon when I get there. Where the Ark of the Covenant was. When the priest is entering, he has to enter with rings, bells under his garment, and a rope to his waist. Because the presence of God, you have to be careful when you are entering there. I'll come to explain all to you very soon. How some of us are, are under judgment. Judgment. We are having strange sicknesses, strange diseases. Our finances are having problems. And you think they are caused by witches and wizards. I will show you where the holy place is. And how some of us come to the holy place. Unholy. And how the judgment of God will eventually visit you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you can't joke with this God. You can't joke with God. You can't joke with God. I am a man. Let me preach all the sermons. You can disrespect the sermons I preach, but not God. So the priest enters here, has a rope on his waist. If there's a little sin on the priest, he will be stricken dead. So when they are outside and they hear some noise, as the priest is ministering, you'll be hearing bling, bling, bling. If you hear bling, 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 and you waste more, the priest is not coming. Nobody can enter. They have to pull him by the waist. So the next year, they have to get another priest who can enter there once a year. Once a year. Have you gotten the picture now? So let me take it one by one. Move on, please. Today is Easter. Easter Sunday, I don't want this thing to be a religious affair. You come, you shout, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, he is risen indeed, and you are the same. And you haven't changed. And your life is the same. I want to show you something. It's from the Bible. This is right in the Bible. After that, we'll serve communion. And, and then we live here. Then I pour oil on your head. Then you live here. Oh, my, 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 my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I don't do visual, take your time. You are good people. So inside the courtyard, so now we are entering the compound. What is inside the compound and what are the spiritual meaning of those things in the compound? So let's go. Number one, the compound has a gate. And the gate was only 30 feet. 30 feet. I think my house, my house, we are just about Maybe 10 people living there. But our gate is, is above 20 feet. Our gate about 14 feet. So 10 people, our gate was almost half of the gate of the 3 million people. The Jews were 3 million people. And the gate to the courtyard, the gate to the courtyard was only, was only one. One, not double gate. One, not double gate. Only one gate. Only one gate. Because Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, not a way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So just at the entrance, you see Jesus. I am the gate. <laughs> so, you can't be a Christian without accepting Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Nobody was born a Christian. My, uh, uh, when, when did you get born again? Oh, me, I was born into a Christian family. No! You haven't entered the gate. You have not entered the gate. You have not. So you can be in church without being in Christ. 
So that explains why there are slave queens in our churches and they don't feel guilty because they have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. So they are in church, but they are not in Christ. That's why they are frosters in our church. And when you preach about it, they get angry. They don't repent. They get angry. They don't repent. They get angry. Why? They have not entered the gate. Now, 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 now. Now, John 10 verse 9 says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, now, when you read other versions of the Bible, other verses in this very John 10, Jesus talks about anyone who enters through any other means is a thief. So it means that even though there, there is a gate, you can still enter without going through the gate. So there are people in church who have not gone through the gate. Hello? <laughs> are you here with me? So it's not everybody sitting here who is born again. That is why, listen, listen, when you are in church and you find some people who are even in leadership, some people who are close to the bishop, some people who sing in the choir or in the prayer warriors, sinning, it shouldn't surprise you. But there's only one gate. And the gate is very narrow. It's a difficult gate to enter. Very narrow. The requirements for entry is so much. You have to leave things out before you can enter. Are you here? Before you can enter, and people don't want to enter. I said, don't get surprised if in this church there are slave queens. Don't get surprised if in this church there are frosters. Don't get surprised if there are husband snatchers and wife snatchers in this church. Because it's not everybody who will enter by the gate. Some will jump into it. We will all, all day inside, but the sound, the trumpet will sound. And those who entered by the gate will be raptured. Am I preaching? Those who entered by the gate will be raptured. To so we'll be in church like this, I'm sure I'll go. I'm very, very sure I'll go. I'll be preaching like this. The trumpet will sound. My clothes will remove from me, but you will not see my nakedness. I'm just gone. In the twinkle of an eye, pim, we are gone. And most of you here will go, but there are a few of us. The few of us, the slave queens, the, the slave queens, the slave queens, the frosters, the thieves, the gossipers, the bitter people who are holding grudges, who live you here. When we go, please take over the church. I'll teach about that another time. Can I see the next slide? Now, look at this. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the, is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So don't be surprised that if in this church, there are more, more sinners in this church than people who are truly committed to Jesus. Because only few will enter. Only few will enter. Hey, I went to this church. A lady who sings in the choir. I saw this lady doing this. I'm not going to that church again. You haven't understood the Bible. 
Some have unfortunately entered by jumping the window. They are thieves. The road is narrow. Very, very narrow. Okay. Are you here with us? Do you understand where I'm going with you? Okay. And Jesus is the gate. So the first thing you see in the courtyard. Next slide, please. Now, the second thing you see when you that in fact, this is when you enter the courtyard, you meet the brazen altar, the bronze altar. Now, bronze is a symbol of judgment. So once you enter there, the first thing you meet is judgment. But that is why you cannot enter there without a sacrifice. So you carry the lamb. In Leviticus 1, from the verse 1 to 4. You carry the lamb, you get there, and the priest takes it and sacrifices it. You put your hand on the lamb, you confess all your sins on him, and the priest takes it and sacrifices it on the altar. Listen. Listen. Let me tell you this. You know why you are here and you have not yet received the judgment? Because Christ was put on this altar for judgment on your behalf. The first thing you meet is Jesus. Sacrifice for you. Sacrifice for you. But he was sacrificed for you and died so that you will become a living sacrifice for him. And for those of us who entered through the gate and saw the sacrifice and saw the blood, we appreciate the death of Christ. And so we are a living sacrifice for him. <laughs> eh? We do the things we do for Christ. And some of you sit somewhere you think we are fools to be doing what we do for Christ. No, no, no. Narrow is the gate. And when you enter the narrow gate, the first thing you see is what Christ did for you. The blood on the altar. The blood on the altar. The blood on the altar. What he did for you. (laughs) Now, number two. Number two. Let's move quickly. Now, Number three, the next thing you see on the courtyard, please note, note this. Immediately, you offer your sacrifice on the altar. You go back home. The rest of the journey, the priest will do it for you. Now, the priest takes your offering, burnt offering, it is burnt. You are going home. From here, the priest goes to the bronze basin in, in Exodus 30, 7 to 21, and washes his hands. Cleans himself as a symbol of holiness. A symbol of holiness. So the priest will make sure that he enters into God's presence holy. Now, when the priest enters into God's presence, so just at the entrance of the holy place, the hall is the basin. Wash your hand. Make sure you are pure before you enter. When the priest enters the place on the right is twelve bread. Twelve loaves of bread. On the left is the lamb. And before him is the incense. And all these things 
speaks about Jesus. Once he was sacrificed at the, at the, at the entrance, he washes us and opens the door with holiness. Here it is. You enter into the hall and what do you see? You see the 12 loaves of bread. Each bread representing the tribe, each tribe of Israel. God is saying that I am your resource. I can feed you. I can, I can feed you. I can provide for you. And remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Can, can we move the next? Let me show them something. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Go. I am the bread of life. Exodus 25 verse Okay, okay, so John 6, 35. Jesus, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let me show you something. If you have really, you have really come to Jesus, there's something you will see. If you have really come to Jesus, you will never be hungry. But what kind of hunger, what kind of hunger was he talking about? Was he talking about the fufu? I'm going to eat after this service. No. And I'm not invited. This was, is this was an invitation. So don't come and pass through my house and say, Bishop, hey, I came to greet you. Please don't come and greet me. What's he talking about this fufu? No. What's he talking about the ever you eat? No. He says something that when you eat, you will never be hungry. You see, there are two types of hunger. The hunger for your body and the hunger for your spirit. And let me show you, if your spirit, if your body is hungry, you eat food. If your spirit is hungry, you go for worldly things. You know men who cheat on their wives? Eh? And cheat on their wives with different girls. They haven't come to Jesus. They are hungry. You see, they are trying to fill the hunger in their lives with sex. You see, all this craze for phones. People who don't work. People whose salaries are four, uh, 400 have two phones. You don't know who is calling them. And they are carrying two phones. I, I'm, I have two phones. I'm, I, I use one for WhatsApp on platforms. It's even a burden for me. I leave them all the time. They are carrying my phones, following me. Daddy, you left your phone. You left your phone. And I'm a very busy man. I run multiple institutions. I keep two phones. It's a burden for me. But if you are craving, you don't work. iPhone 12 Plus has come. You want some. You want some. You see, there are things that makes you happy apart from the presence of God. It's because you are not hungry for His presence. You are hungry for worldly things. And that is because you have not come to Him. Because Jesus said, you that comes to Him will be fed with His bread and He will not be hungry. You see, Hollywood stars get money and get money and they re- just realize that it is vanity. Yeah, they say, let me build houses. They go build houses. The last time I was in Australia, they took me to a place in Adelaide where all the major film stars, I saw Sandra Bullock's house. I saw um, um, Braveheart. It's a guy. I mean, I saw his house Beautiful places. But these people are committing suicide. Why? 
They have everything because they have thought that if I, I get a house and I get girls and I get money and I buy cars and I do this and I have plenty of friends, this hunger that makes me feel lonely, the emptiness I feel in my spirit, I will feel it. But no, 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 no. It's only Jesus who can feel it. Who can feel it? Who can feel it for you? He's the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And if you have come to him, and truly you have come to him, if you did not come to this church because of friends, and you didn't come to this church because it's, a, it's Easter, and you didn't come, but you came to Jesus, he will fill you. He will. He will. You will build a big house that you see you can only sleep in one room. Unless you cut your leg for one room, you cut your other leg for one. You see, big house. And that is where it dawns on you. It dawns on you. That without Jesus, all these things are useless. Loneliness is not the absence of people. It's the absence of a meaningful relationship with the Lord. Are you here with me? Now, the next thing you see is this lampstand. Jesus said, in John 6, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. Will never walk in darkness. Darkness is a symbol of sin. Whoever walks in me will not sin. Wow. A lot of people are missing in life. They don't know where they are going. They don't know what to do with their lives. If you are here like that, I just want you to know that you are in church, but you are not in Christ. I did a walk one dawn on this street. I was doing a prayer walk on this street. Then I got to Kotobabi here around 5 something a.m. Young ladies standing by the roadside waiting for men to go and sleep with them. And guess what? Me, man of God, passing. This lady followed me. I thought he was call- she was calling some doggo. Yeah, she said, honey, honey, kuchu kuchu. Hey, me. I turned around in anger. I said, give your life to Jesus and go to church. She's in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And when that light reflects on you, you also become the light of your world. And he wants you to shine. My sisters are here. My mother is here. I am the light of the family. I can boldly say that. I have been with them. I got born again at the age of 14. We're sleeping in the same room. They have never seen me lower the Christian standard. I am a light. I'm unquenchable. Look at you. When you are even praying, your wife looks at you and says, you, you are talking to God. You, you are talking to God. (laughs) Your wife doesn't even believe you are a good Christian. Because you are not shining. Your children don't believe you are a good Christian. Because you are not shining before them. The way you insult Bishop in this house, you you are praying, you are a good Christian. (laughs) The The way you and daddy fight in this house, you are praying. They get surprised. They are surprised. 
Your wife doesn't trust you. Not with money. Not with anything. Because you are dishonest. Everywhere you go, your husband is following you. Why? Because he's, he's seen things on your phone and doesn't trust you again. And you're a Christian. You're a church leader. You leave something here. Where is the light of Christ that is reflecting on you? Now let me tell you this. Friends, and I'm serious about this. I'm serious about it. See, when you are in darkness, if we eat in darkness and you sell yourself, you will not see it. But as you walk approaching the light, every death on you, you begin to see it. Every death on you, you begin to see it. Every true Christian, every true Christian is sin conscious because the light is always on you. So once you get a death on you, you know. You know it and you start cleaning it. And you start cleaning it. You know it. You cannot sin and live in that sin and enjoy that sin and make mockery of the bishop who is preaching against that sin. Get familiar with everything, but don't get familiar with the Lord. Hey, don't get familiar with sin. Don't make sin your friend. And that is only because the light, the light, the light that must shine on you is not on you. You haven't come to him. I'm sorry I'm not telling you that Jesus has resurrected and your finances have resurrected with him. I'm sorry I'm not telling you that your marriage is resurrecting with the Lord. I am sorry. But that is not what the gospel is about. The most important resurrection will happen on the last day when the trumpet sounds. That is the most important resurrection. And that is what I want to prepare you for. Your marriage wouldn't have died if you had followed these principles I'm teaching you. You didn't know him. You did not know him. You were not serving him. The most deceived people are people that go to church. Because they think that going to church on Sunday morning pacifies God. I mean, from here, after this service, from here, even on the resurrection Easter Sunday, you are going for parade. No, it's only old, the old people who understand parade. In our days, eh? Going for a party and going to chill was called parade. Am I, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Miss Labby. Yeah, I used to go to Pore, pa. Uh-huh. Yes. So, 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 some of you are going to live here, go and drink alcohol somewhere. God yourself on meat and God yourself on so many things. For you, coming to church is a tradition for you. But I will show you something very soon. Now, now. After this, the priest moves to the altar of incense, a place of prayer. And it's still Christ. It's still Christ. And note that the altar of incense is just in front of the Holy of Holies, where God comes, where God stays, where God is. It's only prayer that can usher you into his presence. Nothing. Prayer. Hear this. Now hear this. Hear the altar of incense. The altar of incense. Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that. Who was raised to life? Now, who was raised to life? Hear this. Who was raised to life? Christ is risen. Indeed, he's risen. But when he was raised to life, what did he become? 
the present day ministry of Jesus, what the resurrection did for you was that immediately that he was raised to life, he went to sit. It's at the right hand of God and it's also interceding for us. Woo! The resurrection put Jesus at the right hand side of God and he's interceding for us. Who is he interceding for? Please note that this letter was written to believers. He's interceding for believers. Do you know why witches and wizards come to church every Sunday and yet they are not succeeding attacking me? Because Jesus is at the right hand side of God interceding for me. Oh, he is your, he is your enthroned prayer partner. He is sitting at the right hand side of God praying for you. He told Peter whilst he was here that the devil had wanted to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. His prayer is so powerful. It prevents demonic oppressions from manifesting itself. That's why I'm not going to allow any prophet to come to me and say, eh, whom we are saying, I, I see that your mother has taken your womb and is hanging it on a tree. Where is my enthroned prayer partner? Where is Jesus? Unless you are not born again. Did you know why some of you, you believe in those things? It's because you yourself, you don't trust yourself as a Christian. You know you are sinning. You know the gates are opened. You know that the Bible says, like, he that breaks the hedge, the serpent shall bite. And you know the hedge is broken. You know the hedge is broken. And so you are afraid. You are afraid. When, when my finances are not as I want it, I don't say Satan is attacking my finances. I'm a tighter. I'm a covenant giver. My wife and I build all these things for the Lord. I'm a covenant giver. And he will rebuild the devourer for my sake. So if I don't have money, I don't give the credit to Satan. I give the credit to God. God is testing my faith. I am saying this and I'm repeating it. Any Christian who gives so much attention to Satan is because he does not trust in himself or herself as being a good Christian. Jesus is at the right hand side of God praying. Praying and interceding for you. And you are afraid you will fail in life. You are afraid you will succeed in life. What is the, the fear you have? The fear you have has a source. Where is the source of that fear? Is it some sin? Is it some non-payment of tithe? Is it your lack of understanding of, of, your, your, of your right in Christ? Something is fueling that fear. Be, be confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work with you shall bring you to an accomplishment. And you know why? Because he is praying. He is your intercessor. At the right hand side of God. Then from here. The priest can now enter. Into the holy of holies. I want to show you something. In the holy of holies. The priest now enters. Wait. A bowl of blood. A bowl of blood. And goes there. Pours it. Kevin, can you bring, Pastor Kevin, can you bring the Ark of the Covenant? See the way you are bringing it? That's the same way you should carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. Eh? Hmm. Now, 
This Ark of the Covenant eh, carried the presence of God. Sometimes between the two angels, you will see fire burning here. You will see the glory of God here. Here, it was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. So this is where the priest goes to pour the blood so that God can forgive their sins for the for, for next one more year. They were always in debt. So every year they do it, the priest goes, pours the blood here, the God forgives them. The Israelites never moved without this. They were always carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It carried the presence. Inside it were the Ten Commandments. Total obedience. What pushes you into the Holy of Holies is total obedience to God. That was why the Ten Commandments was here. Total obedience. The only way you can survive in the presence of God is total obedience. Without that, you can never survive in the presence of God. Now, go back to the drawing, the, uh, the this one, the one that, let me conclude on that one. Let me show you something. Thank you, son. Thank you. You're a good guy. Go to the ground, ground plan. This one. Now, let me show you something. How many of you are aware that after the death of Christ, the curtains, the curtains that separated the holy place and the holy of holies was torn into pieces? The scripture is there. Find it for me. This was removed. Not only was that removed, but you were also made a priest. So you no longer need a priest to lead you into the presence of God. You have to go into his presence yourself. Number two, everything here that Christ was, you became. Christ was a sacrifice on the altar. You must become a living sacrifice. You must become a living sacrifice. When he was crucified, you were crucified with him. And when you raised up from the dead, you, you, you were raised into holiness. You were raised into holiness. So please don't ever tell me that this is my weakness. You are not born again. Don't ever in your life play with sin. I'm not saying that the believer does not sin, but the believer sins. But the believer does not have a habitual sin. Media, all of you, you know that women are my problem. Women are my problem. You are mad. You're either mad or you did not get born again. Now, let me show you. Everything he was in this tabernacle, you have become. You are the, you are, you are the sacrificial lamp on this altar. You must have, He was sacrificed and he died. Now, you, your sacrifice is to let you live. You can sacrifice that man, that sugar, is it sugar mommy and what? They meant to have sugar. After they, they are not sugar. They are, they are bitter daddies. Bitter leaf daddies. They will mess up your life. Now any man who is dating you and insulting his wife to you, is lying to you. He lost his wife to beat. 
He will never leave his wife for you. He knows it. Men are smart. You are following me because I'm a big man. When my wife met me, I was nothing. If I start chasing you, it's a game for me. Because the sacrifice of this woman, I'll never forget it. All the guy is chasing you, let me tell you. I said, it's a game. And those of you who think, oh, my, my, my boyfriend is not a sugar daddy. We are all the same age and uh, we are going to get married. He's sleeping with you. That one is even more bitter because after he's gotten everything from you, what does he need again? He will leave you. When he sleeps with you, the way he's sleeping with you, when he marries you, he does not even trust you. <laughs> Please, guys, let me let you know that the girl you are sleeping with that you are not married to, don't marry her. She has no price. She has no price. She will mess up your life. Another man will sleep with her after you are married to her. I'm telling you, she is licentious. Guys, I'm telling you. Man, who saw Oya Oza Koko? Now, and when the sun rises upon me, I'll be eating in a restaurant, proper food. In my morning days, I need a Oza Koko. But in my dream, afternoon days, you will see when the sun rises, I will eat fried rice. And you don't qualify to be a fried rice. Hey! And the brother who is sleeping with you who sleep with the other girls after you are married. Oh, no, 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 no. And you see, when thief, 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 God, they laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. If the man marries you and now the man is sleeping with the other woman and you start crying, God is sitting down, God is laughing. <laughs> when you and him were sinning, I was crying. Now he is sinning against you. You are crying, I'm laughing. <laughs> and God has a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. He will laugh. It's in the Bible. He talks about he laughing. Yeah. Look for it and read it loud for me. Pastors, find it in two minutes or else you are all dismissed. Are you here with me? Do you understand what I'm preaching? So, so, so here, the purity begins here. The purity begins here. You are sacrificed. You are risen. You are dead with him. Now you are, you are risen to life into purity. Now you enter here and there is no curtains here. Straight into his presence. But in his presence, you must become God's bread that he shares with other people. He says, I'm standing here. God is using me as a bread for you. Are you here? Number two, you must become the light of the world. And it begins from your house. You cannot have a torch light in your pocket in town when there's light off at home. You are in town, shining it there. Charity begins at home. If your wife accepts you as a good Christian, if your husband accepts you as a good Christian, and your children accept you as a good Christian, you are a top Christian. If your family members accept you as a good Christian, you are. My sister, the one I come immediately after, Olive. Olive is such a spiritual woman. Olive tells me, Bishop, I honor you 
even though she's my big sister, she honest me and honest my wife. And this is what she says all the time. She says, me, I saw you growing up. When you got born again at 14, I saw you growing up. I saw you become a pastor at 22. And you are my brother. I've been with you for so many years. And I know how quality your life is. That's why I honor you. The altar of incense. You must become that prayer warrior that ushers people into the presence of God. You don't come in here looking for presents. You come with presents. Ah, I'm going to church on Sunday morning as a young Christian. I've been up since 2 a.m. praying. Praying for the Lord to touch me. Praying that, Lord, don't let this service pass by me. Ah, my pastor is bringing a man of God. Ah, I've gone on a retreat. This man of God coming. God must use him to be a blessing to me. I've gone on a retreat praying and asking the Lord. And I'm entering my church as a young born again believer. 16-year-old boy. In Chalawate and in shorts and in tattered t-shirt. And I'm entering there and the way I am anointed. The man of God comes in and says, praise the Lord. And your spirit receives it. There are people here, when they come to church, they are like an, starting an old car. From praises up to this message, up to the message I'm preaching, their spirit is not open. They are not on fire. Because they came into this service very cold. When you come here and we are level 10, God is not going to come to level 1 to look for you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving into your heart and into his court with praise. Before you enter here, you are already at a certain level. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into your, his court with praise. Before you enter into the court, you are already in, on fire for him. You're already on fire. This is not where you come to warm yourself. This is where you come to add fire. That's why this message is coming and you are sleeping. That's why this message is coming. You are thinking about football this afternoon. Man of God, close, let's go home. That's why you don't, you don't find it very exciting coming into the presence of God. That's why all these services we have introduced is too much for you. When Tuesday morning, this Tuesday morning, we are starting atmosphere for divine encounter. Wednesday evening, the life transforming series, Wellspring of Wisdom, starts at 6 p.m. Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. to 12 noon, we are praying. Tuesday morning, atmosphere of divine encounter. And then Friday evening, Battle of Champions, 6 to 9 p.m., we are here praying. The Sunday, hey, you go to church four times in a week. You have time to do things. Please check how many hours you spend on Facebook. You take your phone. It does calculation unless your phone is a yam. It tells. You don't spend four days in church. You spend few hours. Tuesday is three hours. Um, Wednesday is two hours. That's five. Friday is three hours. Eight. Sunday is three hours. 11 hours, not even 24 hours. And what are you? You spend four days in church. 
He spent four days in church. So that you don't know when we are, we are coming, traffic will catch up. We count all those hours. When you are going to your office, you count the hours. Are you paid for the hours you spend in traffic? No. So I have presented to you Easter from the tabernacle of Moses.